everyone. Welcome to the Unfiltered Podcast, where we are having real conversations about church planning. My name is Lee Stevenson, and uh, my co-host here. I'm Danny Parmalee, oversee church planting for Converge Mid-America. And uh, we're just excited to be with you today. And specifically, I think this will be a fun conversation, Danny, as we're going to just talk about what are the five dumbest things that we see church planners do that really um, hinder their ability to carry out the mission. So, yeah, and, and these are not from us because we didn't make any mistakes when we planted a church. <laughs> That's how we got into our roles is we basically just did it perfect. And so none of these have anything to do with personal experience. No, no, of course not. Other than my wife made a list of all these things. <laughs> and she only had five? My goodness. She put it on the refrigerator. No, I, I just narrowed it down to, to five. But uh, I mean, I uh, we'll just start it with it. So number one, like the dumbest thing um, that I think I just see church planners overspend um, where, and I, and I would say there's multiple facets to where I see them overspend. One is you know, overspend on the marketing, just assuming, yes, marketing is important, but if that's all I need to do and get people in the door, and then all of a sudden I'm going to have a church of a thousand people. And the reality is marketing is important, but there's so much more to building a church than just strong marketing. And then I would say the second is, um, and part of its marketing is the setup and teardown. It's, it's just going full tilt and trying to have the sound system and the audio, the AB, the visual effects of a church much larger than a, a brand new church right off the bat, which I'm all for having quality and a great experience, but you can go beyond what's normal for a new church that's trying to get started. And you may only have a few people show up for that first Sunday. Yeah. And I think that part of that drive comes from just the comparison culture. It's just so easy now. And you see all of these different churches, you're able to see the inside and and seeing what they're doing on social media, it's like, oh, I need to have all of those different gadgets and gizmos and that type of experience. And it's just unrealistic unless you're just raising a million dollars to do that. And even if you did raise a million, I think there's other ways to spend it. Yeah, absolutely. So what what would be a guardrail or what would be some barriers that you would encourage a church planner to put into place that keep them from overspending? Uh, this is where I think you just need good outside wisdom, because I think it would be hard because every situation is so different. You may have to invest more in sound and lights if you're in some sort of environment where you have to change it. Let's say you're in a school gymnasium and it's like, okay, well, we're going to, or, or we need 10,000 in pipe and drape just to kind of create uh, the space where someone else may not need to. So getting outside wisdom and, and someone uh, maybe who's been down the path say, yeah, that's a little bit too much, or why don't you you know peel back on this? Or, or sometimes maybe you do need to increase it as well too. And sometimes they have creative ways of going, hey, if you actually do this, it'll accomplish the same thing, but it's going to be half the price. Yeah. Um, so I think that outside coaching, I agree. Um, and then I think even working ahead, having a realistic expectation, kind of write it down. This is how much I actually have to spend. So create a budget for, okay, here's what's going to go outside. Here's what we're going to be able to put into AV and then stick to your budget. Yep, absolutely. Um, okay, what, what, were some, what were some of the other ones that you said? So you said, uh, oh yeah, the marketing um, and then uh, sound. Any other big expenditures kind of in the beginning that um, you'd say? Staffing. Yeah, I would say staffing or, or setting up your own personal salary. Um, like you, I do think you got to come at it with a willingness to sacrifice. I don't think that means you, you know, can't go to the store and buy groceries to put on your table, 
but there has to be a willingness to sacrifice to get the church up and going. And so it's not like you come in and say, hey, I'm setting my salary at $120,000 when you only have $150,000 right. to put into to the right. new church plant. Um, or, uh, you know, I'm going to hire five people right off the bat. Yeah. Um, that's great if you raise the money, yeah. but uh, you, you've got to you got to make sure that the money's actually there. Or if they raise the money. All right. So we're yeah. ready for ready for number two. So yeah, number two, go for it. Yep. So making people feel guilty for leaving the church. This one is a uh, one that's personal experience for me. It's one that I share all of the time. Guilt is powerful. It will keep people around for the short term, but not for the long term. And you'll run into uh, you'll run into uh, some major problems there. So I just not even kind of knowing that I was doing it, but if someone said that they were leaving, I was feeling rejected. I was feeling abandoned. So it's really easy to use some spiritual manipulation and tell them, hey, they, remember when you signed that covenant? This is like a marriage covenant. You know, you're divorcing and Jesus is against divorce. And uh, what <laughs> so happened? Is that your go-to line, Danny? Right yes. There? Yeah, um, I'm serious. <laughs> I, I mean, I laugh at it now, but it is just sad. And uh, I should probably make lots of phone calls and apologize to people. Um, but in, in my mind, I was thinking, you know, people are leaving, they're on the verge of sin, basically, by by leaving the church. And what happened is, is it just reinforced uh, people's reason for leaving. And instead, later on, once I learned what was happening and what I was doing and how prideful and egotistical and flesh driven I was in all of that, um, is that I started to just send people out and say, hey, thank you for your time. Hate to see you go. And what would happen is um, usually two things. One is eventually they would come back, some of them, small number, but even those that didn't come back left with a great taste in their mouth. And they told their friends like, hey, I don't go to this church, but I did go to this church in the past. And it was really, really great. And you might like it too. And so um, get out of your own headspace. When people come and go, it's just part of it. Have a kingdom mindset, send them out with blessing. Absolutely. I think that's great advice. And I, I think in, even in our history, um, I've come to recognize that God brings people to your church for a season. And sometimes it's a short season. Sometimes it's an extended season. And some of our greatest blessings were people that only were with us six months. Um, they don't always leave well, but right. in the time period that they were there, they they were a great, great blessing. And, and I think anytime somebody's leaving, um, look at that as an opportunity to learn from them as well. And, and ask some questions. Um, hey, I know you're going to be heading out. Are there things that we could pay attention to that we could grow from, that I could grow from as a leader that would help us move forward as a church? Um, it'll be 50-50 whether or not you get something that's that's helpful. And, and uh, But right. again, it sets the tone um, differently as they exit to give a positive perspective as they walk out the door. And, and I would say, yeah, we, we probably saw, depending on the season, um, probably 25 to 40% of those people eventually came back. Yep. And sometimes it would be two or three years down the road that they come back into the church. Absolutely. All right. Go with number After three. made the rounds. So yeah. number three, uh, it's choosing the wrong meeting space as a church plant. Um, and uh, I think some of the biggest mistakes I see, Danny, when it comes to church planters is sometimes they go to the cheap um, and they just allow Hey, I can get this facility for 200 bucks, but the problem is it's outdated. Nobody knows where it is. It has a smell to it. Um, you know, it, it's hard to find, hard to get to. 
um, that is in the long term going to be a detriment to the, the ability for the church to be seen and uh, to even have neighbors, friends of the church invite their friends to be able to come and be a part of the church. Um, and so you want to think through what are central located places, um, what's going to be adequate. Um, and uh, I think for us, you know, I experienced, I know that at some point you experienced, um, you kind of want to predict man, we're going to, we're going to grow at like the fastest church in America yeah. plus 10, you know? Yep. Um, and so you think, Hey, I need a thousand seat auditorium day one. And that can become a detriment as, as well. Um, you might have the best facility, but it's a good facility. If you had a 2000 person church, um, it may not be the right, right facility for you in the first month of a church. Yeah, absolutely. And and uh, when people do look ahead, they're thinking, well, we, even if we grow into this and we won't have to change locations, like, you know what, if you have to change locations later because you're, you know, growing like gangbusters, it's a good thing. You know what I mean? Yep. So don't don't try to plan in, in that sort of way. So I absolutely agree. The other thing is, um, if you are planning on attracting families, then, then children's space, I know we talk about it all the time, but it is really important because as a church planner, you're often thinking of that Sunday, like, well, the auditorium is amazing. Well, the kids doesn't really work, but you know, we can put four in the basement and two in the shed and, you know, you know, put, put a couple over here. And it's like, you know what, that auditorium space isn't as much what even many families will make their decision uh, based on. So. Great. Great. And then I, I would say, you know, little things like pay attention to the cultural aspect of the facility. Um, if it has a negative connotation culturally, historically within that community, people aren't going to come as, as well. You know, for instance, I know one planter that started, they, they moved their church to a mental health facility. Well, it, it the space was nice, but people didn't want to be seen wow. walking into yeah. that facility on Sunday morning because they thought, what are people going to think of me if I'm walking into the mental health institution? That is awesome. Is that church still in existence today? By it the is way? not. Okay. It is not. Okay. So, oh, but right. the, 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 the planter's heart was pure. So, yes, that's great. Um, number four. So once you All right. Give us uh, yes. Um, giving titles too early. So this is another one. Personal experience. We didn't have Stay any here. money. So I thought, well, I can't give you money, but I'm going to give you the pastor of or title of pastor, title of director. Um, we didn't do this because we were at least coached on this well enough or calling someone an elder uh, way too soon. And it can just uh, it can be easy to do that. So we always just say give give responsibility, not title. It's easier to remove responsibility from someone than it is to remove title. So if someone is called youth pastor and all of a sudden it's like, wow, they're actually horrible with youth. To, to say you're no longer the youth pastor, you're essentially having to fire them, even if you're not paying them type of thing, you're having to fire them where it's like, hey, we're entrusting you to, you know, for the next six months to, you know, engage with the youth. And it's like, hey, you know what, that wasn't working. Let's find another seat on the bus. It's just much easier, not only for them, but to explain to the rest of the church kind of what's going on. So give responsibility, don't give titles too early, allow people to grow into them, to kind of earn them to prove themselves first and then give the title. Yeah. Leadership has got to be something you recognize. It's not something you appoint. And uh, I would highly encourage you I, people out there like um, protect the position of pastor. Um, that is not something you just give out randomly and quickly. And uh, same when it comes to what does it mean to be an elder and overseer in the life of your church, move slowly. Um, and honestly, in the long run, that's going to be a better, better bet. And I paid that, that, 
you know, stupid tax as well. And uh, if, if we can avoid anybody from paying that, that'll be a good yeah. one. I had three interns and uh, allowed them, suggested to them the title pastor. And what I did is I actually set them up for failure because then other people were like, I called the pastor today and he didn't return my call. Well, because the pastor was an intern and had a full-time job and couldn't live up to you know, um, the expectation, the, the expectation of, of pastor. And so it really was not fair to them either. Oh, that's, that's great. And number five, I would say, uh, dumbest mistake church planners make is just over programming. Um, they, they think the programs are going to be the, the key of what keep people in and get people engaged in the life of the church. And so they try to have what I would call the Greek menu of options for, uh, for people that come in the doors of the church. You know, it's like, yeah, we've got men's ministry. We've got women's ministry. Guess what? We even have ministry for your dog. And, you know, right. they, they just list all these things thinking, hey, this is this will be what keeps people a part of our church because we offer yeah. things that nobody else actually offers in this community. Yeah. And the other thing I would probably add to that is that you will have people coming to you saying, I want to start this ministry. And everything you've read in your leadership books is all about empowering people and you know, equipping the saints for ministry. Well, sometimes your most equipping word is no, like we just can't, we, you know, we can't do that or we can't do that right now. Right now, so yes. Keep it focused. So, yeah. And and I think one of the things that helped us was um, just having the conversation with people like, we think that's a great idea. And we're not going to say no to you carrying out that ministry because let's be honest, most people come up with the idea with the expectation you're going to carry yeah. out your dreams, Yeah, um, empower them. And, and, but use this kind of idea. Like, I think it's great. It will not be a centralized ministry of our church, but we're all about decentralized ministry. And so yeah. go create this, you know, God bless you. We'll pray for you, you know, and release them. But making it a centralized ministry of the church usually means that there has to be some type of person with responsibility and authority and budgetary items in, included into yes. the process and, of how that gets carried out in the church. And communication space. Oh, I want to be in the bulletin on the website. Can I make a small announcement? Can I start recruiting volunteers from the stage? No, you may not. No, you well, can't. <laughs> Why? And they take it personal and get mad, leave the church and take a bunch of people with them. So yeah. that's that's the nightmare of that. But uh, um, five dumb mistakes church planners make, Danny. Um, hopefully you don't make the mistakes we made. Uh, for our listeners out there. But thanks for tuning in. This has been the Unfiltered Podcast, just real conversations about church planning. Till next time, keep it real. 